verses 1 to 17. Paul is called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into a fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought." My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptise any of you except for Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say you were baptised in my name. Oh, yes, I also baptised the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power." Uh, the church uh, to Co in Corinth uh, really was a lot like our society today. Um, people sometimes when they find out I'm a minister at a party or at the pub or somewhere, uh, sometimes are surprised uh, when I say I, I speak from the Bible and I look at the Bible and that's what I do. Often the surprise uh, comes uh, from the misconception. They say, why, why are you looking... Why are you opening up such an old book? It was written so long ago. Is it really, does it really say things that are relevant really for today? Maybe, uh, maybe you've experienced those questions uh, before. Um, Corinth, though, was much like Sydney 2020 Australia. See, Corinth uh, was a city uh, by the river, and really, it was a city that lots of people from all over the place would come to. They kind of were in prime location for trade and all sorts. So it was very multicultural, lots of people. And when you get lots of people from lots of places, 
it becomes very wealthy. So it was wealthy, and they loved the ideas of freedom and what was new, being true to yourself, expressing yourself, being true to your desires. Sound familiar, right? And so the church that Paul had established here, the problem was this, that the church, instead of being transformed, started to conform. And so the church started to look a whole lot more like the society and the city it was living in than Jesus. And if we are honest, that is the same wrestle that we struggle with today, isn't it? Yeah? It's the same wrestle. The issues of the world are are our issues as well. And yet, how can we, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of our mind and not conform to the world? Paul is writing this letter and, and here's how he opens. And I think he kind of gives us the key to the whole letter just in the first few verses. Kind of starts with the point of the letter. See, have a look at how Paul opens his letter. If you've got your Bibles, open them. If you don't have one, it's on the screen. You can steal a Bible from Lost Property later. It's our gift to you. Just write your name in it. It's in Lost Property. It's fair game, right? Uh, I saw a leather one in there before. First in, first dress. Um, Verse 2. Have a look at verse 2. See how Paul opens his letter. See how he identifies them. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people. See, do you hear what he calls them? See what he identifies them as. To the church of God, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Those who are called to be holy. Sanctified really is a a Christian word really that just means to be set apart and made holy. To be kind of set apart for a special purpose. So if you uh, go into your bathroom at home, uh, I'm guessing if you kind of face the mirror in the sink, hopefully you have a toothbrush there. And that toothbrush is sanctified. It's set apart, right? For your teeth only. I once was chatting to a friend, uh, two uh, roommates uh, that were living together, and we were just playing a fun game, rah, 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 two truths and a lie, that kind of thing. And he said, oh, I have a green toothbrush. And his roommate said, no, yours is the blue one. And he said, no, mine is the green one. And they'd realized for years, years they had been sharing the same toothbrush, thinking the blue one was the others, right? It's important that it's set apart. You don't mess your toothbrush up with the toilet brush, right? If you do, there are problems. 
And this is, what, this is the language, right? Sanctified, set apart, washed, cleansed, made holy, set aside for special purpose. And this is not how I would address the Corinthian church. If I am writing this letter, this is not how I would write it. Because in this church, in this church, they're some of the most immature people and self-centered people I I think I I would have ever met. In the church, there is... there is a guy who is sleeping with his mother-in-law and everyone else in the church is kind of celebrating it as a great thing. How great is it that God, like this person is saved and free in Christ, that kind of thing. And it's like, what are you doing? In the church, right, this church... In this church, there's, there are people who, who are gorging themselves on the meal where you're meant to be remembering Jesus, and they're gorging themselves to the place where they, to the point where they really they have to vomit, and they're getting drunk on the wine, and others in the church are starving. And this is meant to be the meal where you remember Jesus. It is a church that is extremely messy, and yet Paul calls them those who are sanctified, washed, cleansed, set apart, made holy. A church that is rife with immorality, rife with hypocrisy, with anger, with jealousy, self-centeredness, bitterness, and division. And he says to the church of God, those who, have, those who have been sanctified in Christ. You see, the important thing is, in the Greek it's really clear, this word sanctified, it, you're passive in this. You're the one who's been washed. You're the one who's been cleansed. Not only is it passive, but it's past tense. You have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been set apart and made holy. And he's writing this to people who, who are indulging in sin, reminding them of who they actually are. About four years ago, I was um, uh, studying for exams. And I was kind of feeling overwhelmed by the exams the next morning, kind of regretting past Jamie's actions in not reading the lecture notes I should have. And uh, I came across this quote. This quote by a guy called Michael Horton. He said, When most people think that the goal of religion is to get people to become something they are not. The scriptures call believers to become more and more what they already are in Christ. Isn't that 
just sit on that a while. Just sit on it a while. That the scriptures, that all that the scriptures call us to be and to act, call us to become more and more what we already are in Christ. And your feelings are going to lie to you in this. Because there'll be times where you will feel incredibly far from God. There are times where you will feel really unlovely, really unclean, really um, broken and consumed. And, and you need to remind yourselves, no, no, no. I have been washed. I have been cleansed. Like, I have been justified. That, that's, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, right? Some of you are liars, swindlers, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, gossips. That, that is what you were, but you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been cleansed and justified. That is what you were. This is who you are now. You are blameless. Three months ago, uh, I moved house. Amy and I moved house. Uh, and for probably the first couple of weeks, uh, whenever I was driving near Mount Brown, I would turn left at the lights. To the point where I uh, pulled into kind of the driveway of my old house. And then just kind of was like, do I wave to the new people? Like, I luckily didn't try to put my keys in the door, right? But is this, I, I for, forgot that I moved. I forgot my, my new identity. I forgot where I now belonged. And this is, this is why we need the Bible. This is why we need to keep coming to church. This is why you need to do this regularly because we are quick to forget we are quick to forget and being told once is is not enough we need to keep reminding ourselves i need the bible because i because i have identity amnesia i keep forgetting who i am where i live where i belong and when i forget where i belong When I wrestle regularly with a state of identity amnesia, I feel poor when in fact I am rich. I feel foolish when in fact I'm in relationship with the one who is wisdom. It makes you feel weak and alone when he is strong and has promised never to leave you. When you have identity amnesia, when you forget who you are, you feel alone in your sin. When he has promised that he has washed, cleansed and forgiven us. And that he is never, will never abandon us. And so Paul opens, reminding them, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And this is why sin no longer should have a place in your life.
when you meet with, with each other, and, and I pray and hope you do, when you grab coffee and have real conversations about life and just say, I'm concerned about this that I've seen in your heart or this sin and like, how are you going with that sin? Like, when you have those conversations with people you care deeply about, we do it because we're calling people to live more and more who they already are in Christ, that sin no longer has a place in our lives. It doesn't line up with who we are. And Paul then points them forward to the banquet of grace. Have a look at verse 4. I always thank my God for you. Again, it's just not what I would have written, right? Why is he constantly giving thanks for them? I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. You see, he sees their sin and it reminds him and it causes him to praise God that they are saved not, not by their own goodness but by the grace of God. That, that his mercy is more. That as deep as their sin is, grace goes deeper still. Uh, You've heard me talk about a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer before. Here's what he says. He says, When a brother sins against me, is it not an opportunity to give thanks to God? That that brother, that that sister, like me, is saved by grace alone and not according to their own works. Incredible. Especially from a guy that lived the last of his life and died in a concentration camp. That when, when a brother or sister sins against me, is it not an opportunity? Not to grumble. It's an op- when someone sins against me, I don't naturally go, praise God, right? That's not my reaction. That's not my heart. Maybe you're more godly than me, right? When someone sins against me, he goes, is it not an opportunity for me to thank God? God and praise God that they, like me, are saved not by their own works but by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus alone. This is what Paul's doing. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, for in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Remember those verses. Remember that as you go through this letter and as you see how the Corinthian church is grasping hold of more and more and they they kind of are longing for all of these things. They're longing for more power, more spiritual richness, more spiritual gifts, that kind of thing. They're just longing for more. And he says, what are you lacking? What, What hasn't God given you? You have everything you need in Jesus. You have all, you are, have every richness. You do not lack anything. 
This is why it's a, it's a banquet of grace, right? It's like the feast, the banquet is ahead of you and you're just, you know, you're on the ground in the corner like eating the dog food, right? Like, oh, I just want more. It's like, no, 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 you have all the richness of Christ already. And this is the horror of sin. The horror of sin is always that we are not satisfied with the richness that God gives us and we long for something else. All sin is a lack of satisfaction in what God has already given you in Christ, in what you already have. This this is Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden, the snake says, eat this apple and you will become like God. Read a few verses earlier. I will make them in my image and my likeness. They already are like God. And this is the, the horror. This is the tragedy. Is they, they risk it all. They gamble it all on something they already have. And they lose it. And this is the horror of sin. Is we long for things we already have in Christ. Pornography. How many times does it say, I will give you comfort, peace, I promise feelings of love and affection, and yet it leaves you feeling alone, broken, and ashamed? Comfort, peace, love, affection, you have them all in the gospel already. Envy. Strife, the strive to be longing where you just have to be in control of everything. Because you feel like if you can just control everything, then it will be all right. And what happens? You grow more and more anxious. And yet in Christ, you already have the promise of tomorrow. You already have the safety and security that you long for and search for. By the works of your own hands. And as the Corinthian church and we wrestle with longing for pleasure, popularity, power, we need to remember Paul's words where he says, You have been enriched in every way. You do not like any spiritual gift. You are lacking nothing. Christian maturity is not grasping for more, but it's understanding the richness of what you already have. It's grasping hold of what he has already done for you, of who he has already made you. That is what Christian maturity is. It's not grasping for more, it's digging deeper in. And then look at verse 8 and verse 9. If you are someone who highlights in your Bible, I would encourage you to highlight this. Verse 8 and 9. He will also keep you firm to the end. Just remember who he's writing to. Remember who he's writing to. These people, are, you're not inviting them to your birthday party. 
He will also keep you, the Corinthians, you. Insert your name there. If you're a believer in Jesus, put your name there. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. I've got lots of words written down here, but I'm long-winded, so I'm going to cut things short. Here's my point. Here's what I want to just say under this. Even when you're not faithful, God is. And that's why Paul, that's Paul's hope for the Corinthians. It's my hope for you, and it's a sure hope, because my confidence in my salvation, in your salvation, is not based on your goodness or your faithfulness, but on God's. And his promise is that he will keep you firm to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is faithful. He will not abandon you. Finally, let's look quickly at the expression of unity. Ultimately, we've done all the hard work on dealing with the issue behind the issue. Now Paul addresses the symptom. Verse 10, 11 and 12. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you say, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, that's Peter, Still another, I follow Christ. Here's his point. Who is the one that will keep them firm to the end? It's not Paul. It's not Peter. It's not Peter Tasker. It's not Jamie McKenzie. It's not Jason McPhail. It wasn't Stephen Semenchuk. No one will keep you firm to the end to present you pure and blameless before Christ on that final day except for him, except for the Lord Jesus. And so he's, he's, he's essentially saying, you are the church of God. You are those who have been sanctified in him, in Jesus, right? Not, not in Paul, not in Peter. This church isn't about us. We're disposable. You are... Remember who you are. You are the church of God. And so to close, let, let me finish with this. Um, uh, I read a book just recently. Uh, I love fiction, uh, like fantasy kind of stuff, Lord of the Rings, that kind of thing. Uh, there's a book that I read recently called The Shadow of Things to Come. And the main character in it, one of the main characters, he uh, has lost his memory. And the whole book is him essentially reminding himself as he gets drawn into these terrible situations of kind of, will he kill these people? Will he let them go? What, what does he do here? The whole book is, is him 
reminding himself of who he really is. Of who bought him. Of who he belongs to. And so, for you this week, as you live, as you're at work, remind yourself, keep saying in your mind, who am I? Remember who I am. Remember who I belong to. I was bought at a price. I am not my own. Remember who I am. Remember who you are. I am one who has been sanctified, made, made pure and called to be holy. Remember who you are. Keep reminding yourself. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we, we thank you that it is that it is you who works and acts to wash us, to cleanse us, to make us yours. And we uh, we pray we pray that you might keep that on our radar, keep that at the forefront of our minds as we get distracted by by busyness and temptation and lots of good things, but just remind us, remind us of who we are and how we are then to live because of that. And we pray this for Jesus' glory and for our joy. Amen. As we, uh, as we start this year,